Well, today is week five of Lent, and next Sunday is Palm Sunday, this like brief, bright festival right at the end of Lent, right before it gets really dark um, in the events of Holy Week. This Lent, we're talking about hugging our cactus, those prickly things in our life that are sources of pain that we'd rather not deal with. If you um, missed the first week where we kind of outlined what that looks like, I encourage you to go back and, and, and watch or listen to that first one. And we got a big cactus to deal with today. Um, today's message is entitled, and I usually don't tell you what the title is, but in case you didn't see it, our title is Possessed by Possessions. Possessed by Possessions. You're welcome. I'm just here to meet your needs, right? Don't worry, Easter's coming soon. And so let's just rip off the proverbial band-aid and jump right into it. If you have a Bible, uh, turn me to Luke chapter 12. And I love this, um, this story. It's really fascinating. And uh, if, if you have actually turned to your Bible, one of the things I'd love for you to see, maybe you can see it on an app, is um, we're going to look at verse 13. The, the parable of the rich fool. Do you know any rich fools? You know anybody who's like wealthy but stupid? <laughs> Don't answer that. So, um, Hollywood. Okay, so <laughs> verse one uh, of chapter 12 uh, says, this, this is the, we're not gonna read, but I just want, want you to note something because I think it'll help you. It says, in the meantime, verse one, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. This is obviously prior to Rona. You know, they didn't know this thing about social distancing. So there's thousands of people trampling on one another, not socially distancing. And he began to say to his disciples first. So, so the scene here is there's like thousands of people, lots of people, no mask, no distancing, right? They're trampling on one another, and, and Jesus is teaching to his disciples, and they're kind of eavesdropping. Now, that's verse 1 of 12, and if you just jump to verse 22 of 12, um, and, and, you know, I have the red letter Bible, so you can't see this, but it's like all red, and then all of a sudden, there's like some black text, which is someone talking that's not Jesus, and then like he continues, and like the whole page is red, okay? And so in verse 22, it says, and he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you not to be anxious. So, so kind of he, he, here's, here's the point of all this. Jesus is teaching publicly. There's thousands of people around. And like right in the middle of a sermon, somebody interrupts him with a personal problem. Okay. So that's sometimes missed. If you just start in verse 13, you're, you don't really kind of see what's going on. If you just read, read chapter 12 sometime and you see like, okay, Jesus is teaching to his disciples and there's lots of people around. And all of a sudden someone like, doesn't even raise their hand. They just, I got a question and, and Jesus fixed this problem for me. So we're going to dive into um, what this problem is that, that this person wants Jesus to fix. So we'll, we'll read in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, which is interesting. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That'd be a great bumper sticker. 
And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, exclamation point. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And that's kind of the end, right? That's the end of the parable. And here's Jesus's like summary. Here's Jesus' commentary, okay? I like reading commentaries. This is Jesus' commentary on the story he told, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Hear the word of our Lord. How's that for an interruption? Now, as we take in the scene here and start to get bearings on what's happening, there are immediately four words that stand out to me in the first three verses. Right? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, right? So a person, a dude, interrupts Jesus and he drags some like family estate planning drama into the public eye. There's a lot of people around as verse one indicates. And he presumably cuts off Jesus mid-sermon because he's upset that he's not getting any inheritance. You know what I would do if I was Jesus? If that happened to me, if I'm preaching and someone like just said, hey, uh, we got a family issue and we need you to deal with. Like, can you talk to my family? And like while I'm preaching, I would yell like, security, <laughs> like get this person out of here. Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, you know, there's a thousand people, thousands of people, like someone could have like gotten them out of there and like, and Jesus doesn't ignore him. I'd probably do that. I'd probably just ignore him. But um, Jesus, surprisingly, this is what's shocking to me. As he stops mid-sermon and he answers the guy, which is so shocking to me. And, and then Jesus pivots mid-sermon and he goes down this rabbit trail and he starts to speak to them, which is really fascinating that the text says that Jesus spoke to the person and then he spoke to them. And I'm not really sure who the them is. You know, you would ask, is it his older brothers or his other brothers? who are there, presumably they're older because they're getting the inheritance or one of them is. Um, is the family there? Is them the entire crowd? Is them the disciples? All of the above? It's probably all of the above. I, I think Jesus is at least speaking to the brothers and allowing everyone to eavesdrop, which is kind of fascinating. Here's his message to them, whoever them is. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Which is similar to what Jesus says in his uh, desert temptations, man does not live by bread alone, right? Um, life does not consist by just eating bread and life does not consist in the abundance of your stuff. 
That's the message. Beware of envy. Beware of keeping up with the Joneses. Beware of that impulse inside of you that all of social media platforms and the internet and Gmail and Google and YouTube literally capitalize on and advertise towards. Take care because life isn't about the abundance of possessions. Take note of this because Jesus is speaking on abundance Really, we could say that he's speaking on being rich. Um, but at the end, he will contrast this abundance and richness in the world with an abundance and richness as towards God. Being rich isn't the problem. You know, often churches and ministries and pastors like beat up the rich and, you know, make people who have means feel really guilty for having that. The problem isn't money and the problem isn't that you're rich. Um, and by the way, if you have clean water, you're rich. We're all rich in this country, comparing to the world. Um, The problem isn't that you're rich. The problem isn't that I'm rich. The problem is what is the direction in which your riches flow? That's that's what's important. You're not suddenly more holy because you're poor. (laughs) It's like a false gospel. Like, well, just, you know, if you're poor, God will love you more. No, uh, I know plenty of poor people or plenty of people who are on the poverty line who are more greedy and materialistic than millionaires, right? The problem isn't how much richness you have. The problem is the direction in which it is directed. Are you rich towards yourself or are you rich towards God? That's the point, okay? Then comes a parable. Uh, What is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's probably the most basic definition of a parable. A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. Para means alongside of, right? Para, like parachurch ministry is a ministry that comes alongside of a church, right? Para is alongside. So Jesus mostly taught using the tool of parables. He, he would teach by telling an earthly story that would go alongside, hence the name parable, a heavenly concept, earthly story, heavenly meaning. And if you could understand um, the story on an earthly level, like sowing and reaping and harvest, then you can make the jump to understand the heavenly principle that's at play. Like the seed is God's word and the soil is your heart, to use the example of the parable of the sower, right? So Jesus almost exclusively taught using parables. Um, so here the parable is the rich fool, and that's the title. Now, can you imagine if this guy had an Instagram and what his bio would read and what his name would read and what his picture would be, you know? Um, we kind of made a, a fake Instagram picture. There's actually not an account, but had some fun. Like, well, if he had an Instagram, what would it be? So, you know, we'll flash this on the screen and see how many Easter eggs you can catch. Here's the deal with this parable. The guy's already rich. He already has abundance. And yet he's foolish. Yeah, right? He, he, he doesn't get it. Um, this fool gets lucky one year and his land produces a bumper crop. He has this outstanding year that is greater than anticipated, probably similar to like Zoom, 3M, Amazon, YouTube, FedEx in 2020. All of a sudden something happens, it's kind of out of your control and it goes in your favor and suddenly your business is doing well. Sears, Bed Bath & Beyond, sorry, it wasn't your day. Now in verse 17, what's kind of really fascinating is he starts talking to himself because he has a problem. If you reread that and go like, he's not talking to people, he's talking to himself. And 
The problem is he has so much harvest, he's got no room for it. And the thought of being generous, the thought of giving some of that away doesn't even cross his mind. He doesn't even think to reinvest it. He just has a hoarding, close-handed mentality. He's only thinking about himself, and he's thinking to himself, and he's speaking to himself. He's very self-centered. That's why he's a fool. And he comes up with a plan, and his plan is he's going to tear down his barns, and he's going to build bigger ones, because bigger is always better. Don't forget that. And he'll have room to store all of his grain and his goods. Right? And so verse 19 in here is very key, and it's easy to miss. He speaks to his soul. This is fascinating. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, that is so interesting. And it's interesting because God will later speak to him and his soul. But the other reason that this is interesting is because it reminds me of the psalmist. You know, in the Psalms, the psalmist is often um, speaking to his soul and talking to himself. Like in Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. This is really a side question, but um, do you speak to your soul? Another question might be um, slightly, are you aware of how you speak to your soul? The deal is you do speak to your soul, you do speak to yourself, but do you know how you are speaking to yourself? And, and sometimes we, our, our soul kind of gets in the dumps and we need to like ask our soul, why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? Why are you angered? Why are you triggered? And sometimes we got to tell our soul where to put its hope, you know? Um, are you aware of how you speak to your soul? Often, we speak to ourselves, and we do so with crushing judgment and shame. Often, I tell people, including myself, since we're on the subject of talking to yourself, um, to give yourself what God gives you in abundance, and that's mercy. We're often so hard on ourselves. We're hard on our soul. And that may, may be a good question to walk away with is, are you kind and honest with your soul? Or do, you, or do you beat yourself up all the time? Are you your harshest critic? Are you your harshest judge? And, and if so, if you get anything out of this, I want to encourage you to pay attention to the questions your soul is asking, the anxiety of your soul, what you're saying to your soul, how you're saying to your soul, how you're saying things to your soul, whether you're kind and merciful to yourself or not. That's not the point of the message, but it's very important. Uh, the, the message here, this rich fool speaks to himself is, you can rest, relax, have fun, celebrate. You have finally made it. You can finally take a big, deep breath because you have all this stuff, including a new, bigger, shiny barn to hold all of this new stuff. That's what the rich fool says to himself. Now, in verse 20 is where God has something to say. And it says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? At the end of the day, what Jesus is revealing to us is that all of the time and stress and anxiety that we spend storing up things that are honestly just on their way to the junkyard, they're on their way to the trash. 
you know, I hate to hate to be Eeyore here, but you realize all the things that you are working so hard for. If if you live a long life, and if you keep those things, when you die, your kids will probably sell them at a garage sale for a dollar. How many estate sales have you been to? <laughs> Where there's all this stuff that someone has spent their entire life working so hard to buy and possess and keep it onto, and then the kids come in and all they're looking for is like, yeah, um, five bucks for the painting. <laughs> you know, I, listen, this is crazy. This, this is why it's foolish is we spend so much of our energy keeping up with the Jones or chasing the next upgrade or being concerned with what phone we have or what neighborhood we live in or what car we drive or what, you know, who we're wearing or whatever. It's either on its way to the landfill or if we even hold on to it, most of the time it's going to a garage sale for a buck when you're gone. It's what Jesus said, whose will they be? It's what God is saying. When I require your soul, when it's time to come and face judgment, all the stuff you worked hard for, whose will it be? It, it is so fascinating that the man is concerned with setting his soul at ease, which is a good thing. We should pay attention to the anxieties of our soul. And the next thing at Target or the next thing on Amazon or the new city you move to or the new house you buy or the new car or that Tesla or whatever, it's not going. Here's the deal. Did the last upgrade, <laughs> did the last upgrade take care of the anxiety of your soul? Right? That's why it's foolish is when we start chasing the next thing, we don't even stop to go, wait a minute. Well, the last time I chased anything, it didn't work. So I'm just going to keep doing the same. No, 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 no. That's why, that's why it's a rich fool, right? We should pay attention to the unease and the anxiety of our soul. But how this guy went about doing it wasn't godly. He was foolish. And the result was that God required his soul that night Welcome to church. Welcome to Lent. There's cacti everywhere. We are possessed by possessions. This is the world we live in. It's what our economy is built on, honestly. I mean, when you think about, um, I, I hope this isn't like politically triggering. Um, this, happen, this has happened several times in my lifetime. Um, I think going back to, I believe it was, oh, Seven, two thousand seven, around there, is like the moment the economy starts to take. It's what our government does is let's borrow money we don't have to give Americans a thousand dollars so they can go buy stuff that they don't need so that our economy will keep going. Like, like could like take the partisan politics out of that, right? Um, because in two thousand seven, it was the Republicans who did it, and this time it was um, Democrats who did it. But but here's the deal. Um, can we acknowledge that our economy is built on you and I buying more stuff we don't need? Right? I think it's great 
helping people who need it. Yes, there are people who need the stimulus. Absolutely. There's also tons of people who don't need a stimulus who got it and are just going to buy stuff that they don't need and we're going to go further in debt. Like this is, this is part of the problem of our humanity is there is a soul sickness inside of us that wants more stuff that won't fill that void. And our very government and economy is built on us buying more stuff. <laughs> we are a culture, my friends possessed in a stronghold, possessed by possessions. I hope that wasn't too politically triggering for you. I was, that's not even in the notes, right? That's either uh, Holy Spirit inspiration or the tacos I ate last night, right? All right, so final verse, let's jump to it. Uh, there's the summary Jesus gives. This is the commentary. I think that is most important. Out of all of this, this is the most important verse. Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus draws a line connecting the rich fool with everyone who is chiefly concerned and anxious with storing up more possessions on this earth. So is the one. I mean, he's not even hinting at it. He says, if you do this, you're a fool. And the last four words of this verse are very striking. Not rich towards God. Notice the direction. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with having wealth and means. There's nothing wrong with having a good income. There's nothing wrong with having a good inheritance. Listen, the question is, in what direction do you direct your riches? Are you rich towards yourself? Are you rich towards Amazon? Are you rich towards Target? Are you rich towards Tesla? Are you rich towards God? That's the point. Now, I want to ask you this question. Where is your soul anxious? Are you even anxious? Is your soul anxious in me even talking about this? Right? Are you possessed by possessions? Are you envious? Are you covetous? Are you materialistic? You know, one of the great, we use that term material, materialistic, and often we don't know what that means. Here's the best definition of materialism. Here it is, and we're going to put it on the screen. Materialism begins where your income ends. That's what materialism is, right? So, so let's say this. The person making 50 grand a year usually thinks the person making 100 grand a year is materialistic. But if the person making 50 grand a year lives beyond their means, and the person making 100 grand a year lives below their means, which is albeit easier, but still, who's materialistic? Because the person making 100 grand a year is looking to the person making 400 grand a year and thinks they're materialistic. And that person making half a million a year is looking to the millionaire thinking they're materialistic. And the, and the, the millionaire is looking at the billionaire. And, right? It, you, you, we tend to always want to look up to the next tier and go, well, they're materialistic. But the point is materialism begins where your income ends. Are you envious? Are you covetous? Are you materialistic? Do you terminate all of the provision God blesses you with on yourself? Now, here's some crazy data. In the third quarter of 2020, 
Americans held, just Americans held, 14.35 trillion, with a T, trillion. Americans held $14.35 trillion in American consumer debt. 14 trillion in American consumer debt in quarter three of 2020. Um, the average household consumer debt, which is, if you know things about math, I barely do, which is the mean, not the median, is $145,000. That's the, the average. And if you drill down on those numbers, $807 billion of it is consumer credit card debt. So with that, like, I know these are big numbers. You're like, what does that even mean? Just quarter three of 2020, Americans held. $807 billion in consumer credit card debt, it, meaning um, bought something, didn't have the money for it, and put it on plastic. As a country, at the end of last year, we did that to the tune of $807 billion. Now, in case you go, well, Drew, it's a pandemic. This has been growing year after year for decades. This is prior to the pandemic and the economic uncertainty. The point is, in general, Americans, you and I, we tend to spend beyond God's provision instead of living beneath God's provision. That's what debt is. Debt is spending more than God gives you. Now, sometimes there's a crisis. Sometimes there's a crazy circumstance. Sometimes there's a job loss or a health crisis. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you don't need the new TV, but you go and buy one and put it on, on or, or whatever, right? Um there are times where debt is a tool. Dave Ramsey would not agree, but but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just buying junk you don't need and you haven't even paid for it when you're done with it. That is living above and beyond what God has provided. Do you live beneath God's provision for you? Oh, we're, uh, we're teaching our kids this lesson right now. It's really hard. They get a weekly allowance based on their age. And at six and seven and a half years old, we're training them to not see a dollar as a dollar, but as a series of percentages. If we give them a dollar, they have to first give some, then save some, and then the rest they can put in a spin jar. And if they want something, they have to name it. They have to uh, list it. They got to wait for it. And then after a period of waiting, which they think is eternity, which is usually a day, we do some research. We find, is that something they really want? Where's the best deal? What are the reviews? And we're teaching our kids at six and seven to not just spend money, but to really think deeply on if they need it, if they want it, if it's a good buy, if it's wise to buy that, if it has good reviews, where's the best place to get it? When should they buy it? All these things. And even at six and seven, they want to spend more than we give them. Even at that young age, our kids don't understand that life does not consist in the abundance of monster trucks. I'll close by asking you a few questions to help you hug this cactus if you're interested in it. Um, first, do you have a goal and plan to live beneath God's provision? Do you have a budget? You know, often people live beyond their provision, they don't even know it, and they didn't even mean to. 
because they didn't have a budget. A budget is simply a list of priorities. That's what a budget is. It's not complicated. Here's the deal. You already have priorities. That's where your money goes. Your money goes where your priorities go. Whether you're aware of it or not, your money goes where you prioritize it. The question is, is do you have those priorities listed out on paper, reviewed, prioritized, directed, corrected, and ordered? And how do you know that your money actually did what you wanted it to do? That's what a budget is. And it's good to kind of make one every month and to adjust it every month. Um, most people don't have a budget and the result is that their money tells them what they can and can't do instead of them telling their money what it should do. Do you have a budget? Do you have that tool? Have you, there's so many tools out there. You know, you need a budget is a good tool. Um, you know, Dave Ramsey has every dollar app. There's, we just, well, honestly, what we do, we have a notebook and a piece of paper and we go line by line and we just change it every month. Like, it's not that complicated, but the, the point is, is if you feel like you're possessed by possessions and you feel like you're just always spending beyond what God has provided and you don't, you don't have the ability to be generous or to be wise, you feel like you're being foolish. Like the first step is, do you have a monthly budget that you direct and live under and review? And it's, it's, it's not that complicated. It, it takes some effort, but once you get it set up, it's, it's pretty easy. Second question is, um, are you aware of the very strong industrial strength marketing tactics that are aimed at you anytime you open your phone, computer, go online, drive on the highway, walk into a store? I'm a graphic designer, background in graphic and video design. Do you know that there's certain colors and fonts that designers use to communicate value and appeal to you? A lot, you probably know uh, red gets your attention more than any other color. And so it's, it's not a coincidence that Target's branding is red. When you look into the store, when something is marked down, what color do they use? Either yellow or red. It's like very harsh color to get your attention. Very rarely do you see like this really calming blue that says 90% off. No, no, no. I don't want you to, right? Do you, like, are, do you just, have you realized that you are a walking target for, for marketers in everything you do. You know, if you have email, if you have Gmail, you know why you don't pay for Gmail? It's so that they can read your emails and give you an ad based on what you're writing about. Did that ever happen? You know, why is Instagram free? So that they can show you things, so that they can charge more money for advertisers because they can guarantee to an advertiser that when you start talking about a certain item, they can hear you through your phone that you gave permission to, whether you knew it or not. And then they start showing you ads on Instagram or Facebook, whatever, on that thing you were talking about. And you never searched it. We live in a world that literally capitalizes on, the, on our soul being anxious. And without knowing it, sometimes we end up being the rich fool. Do you realize just how marketed you are? And, and, and often just understanding that is a key first step in combating the war that is on you and your finances. The th third is, um, do you have a conviction and a plan to regularly direct your riches towards God? The rich fool had no vision of generosity. His bumper crop was all for him. 
Now, this isn't a message aimed at giving to the church. I rarely teach on it, and I should probably teach on it more. Um, but on a personal note, one of the reasons why Shari and I give the first moment we receive provision, and, and we've always done that, is it uh, giving guards us against covetousness and materialism. Like every time we give, it forces our hands to remain in an open posture. And the main reason why we give is because it's worship. We don't give out of fear. We don't give out of manipulation. We don't give in order to gain God's love. Uh, we don't give to earn more of God's love. We don't give so that we'll be forgiven. We, don't, we give simply as an act of worship. That's what giving is. And you, Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. But an outcome that we've noticed by worshiping regularly every month in our giving is that every time we give, the grip of greed is loosened on our souls and we're reminded of why God provides for us. Now, that's not why we give, but it's the fruit and benefit of giving. Now, this may sound biased coming from a pastor, but I'll tell you, my motives are pure before you and the Lord. I don't see who gives. I don't know who gives. I don't know who doesn't give. I don't know if someone gives a dollar. I don't know if someone gives $100,000. I have no clue. When I look at you, I don't see dollar signs. And I honestly, I'm looking at a camera right now, so I have no idea who's even watching this. Um, I'm in the dark on purpose, right? I'm far too wicked to know that stuff. But if a pastor talking about giving and money gives your heart heartburn, that's okay. But I should suggest you look into that cactus. That's a cactus, and it sounds like there's some hurt there that you may need to bring to the Lord because God's a giver. God so loved the world, he gave everything, gave his life. And if we're made in the image of God, we should be givers too. It's, it's not that hard of a stretch. And so if you struggle with finances, if you struggle with riches, if you struggle with greed and envy and comparing and materialism and generosity and stinginess and all those things, I want to encourage you, have you tried leaning into giving? Maybe the answer is giving, it more, giving more of it away. I encourage you to try it. Have you ever tried being rich towards God? I tell you, it works. Tithing and giving is the one time in Scripture, it's the one time that I've found in Scripture that God invites us to test Him. No other time does He say, test me. No other time. And uh, gosh, I've been, I've been working for 22 years, and this isn't to brag, every paycheck I've ever gotten since I was 15 years old and 37, every Every paycheck Shari and I have ever gotten, um, we have first, before we've done anything, given 10% of it away. When we were poor and had nothing, when we had plenty, it didn't matter. Because we both had parents that taught us the value of giving. Uh, now, that is not to say I'm better or that, you know, if you haven't done that, and most people haven't done that, that no guilt or shame there. But I'll just tell you, I practiced this for 22 years, and I'll, I'll say, God has always taken care of us. We've never gone hungry. We've had contentment when there was very little. We've had contentment when there was a bumper crop. But God has always brought peace and comfort to our souls, even when we didn't know what the next month was going to look like. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
And I'll encourage you, this is a cactus for you, and it's a real one for many people. And our culture and our country isn't your friend in this area. God loves you. He cares for you. If you continue, we don't have time, but if you continue reading Luke 12, he talks about not being anxious because God, your Father, longs to provide for you. If this is an anxious part for you, read the rest of chapter 12. God's not a deadbeat dad. He's our heavenly Father. He's our Abba Father. And he will give you the daily bread. But sometimes the key is trust. And I encourage you to not be like the rich fool. And if you are possessed by possessions, to come to Jesus, to be honest with the possession, and to say, uh, great physician, I need you to set me free from the slavery to consumerism and materialism or fear or whatever it is that is keeping you there. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's pray. Abba Father, I know that this uh, message that is really surprising to me because I didn't plan it is one that we all need to hear, myself included. We ask for you to surround us with your presence and with your blessing and that you would help the scales to fall off of our eyes where we are blind to the ways of the world that we often are on cruise control with when it comes to possessions and riches and money and stewardship and giving and, and, and sacrifice and contentment and materialism and envy and greed and comparing and our identity and our soul's anxiety. You just, the iceberg is huge. The cactus is huge on this issue. And we just have no ability to tackle it. All we can do, Lord, is come to you and say, Lord, have mercy. Set us free, Jesus. Bring the reality of your finished work over every stronghold that is keeping your people and your church in slavery to the riches of this world, the treasures of this world that moth and rust destroy, that thieves steal, that are fickle, that are sand that we build our lives upon. Lord, we just cry out to you and we say, set us free, show us your way, give us your wisdom. Lord, I ask that you would show up and meet every person who's listening or watching in the way they need you to meet with them. Lord, help them to hear the questions their soul is asking. Help them to see where their soul is anxious and help them to see the subtle and even unconscious ways they have tried to soothe their soul with the things of this world instead of the bread of heaven. Come, Holy Spirit, set us free from the possession of possessions. We ask this in the holy, precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.